Today I share a discussion with nutritionist, yogi and mother Jenilee McGuinness. Jenilee is a specialist in women's health and as a result of navigating her own PCOS journey, she now has a particular interest in treating and supporting other women with PCOS. In this episode, Jenilee shares her incredible knowledge on what PCOS is, how it's diagnosed and the nutritional foundations required to manage it. I love Jenilee's holistic and real food first approach to hormone balance. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, Jenilee. So great to have you here. I'm very much looking forward to this conversation on uh, female hormones and polycystic ovarian syndrome. I think there's going to be lots to share um, for the listeners. Um, Before we get into it, though, hi. Nice to have you. Hi. It's so nice to be here. I love that we catch up every fortnight and have a lot to talk about. So it's good to finally hit the record button and share what we talk about with everybody else. Well, exactly. Um, I think that's one of the cool things about finding people that work in a similar space and have similar sort of values around health and nutrition is, you know, that, you know, you and I have been, you know, conversing regularly um, over the last couple of months and, yeah, time to make it official and um, bring some of that content to the people. Absolutely. So um, before we get stuck into women's hormones in general, I'd love for you to share a little bit about you, you know, your background both professionally and health-wise because I'm a big believer that, you know, when we're, when you're working in the holistic health space, usually there's an element of your own health story that's really helped mm. to pave your journey and your interest and your want to help others. So share away. I absolutely agree. And even at uni, we always learnt of the wounded healer. And typically what brings you to study nutritional medicine or any complementary and alternative medicine is an experience you've had yourself. It's quite empirical. But um, for me, it was a history of digestive issues at really bad acne in my 20s and I was living a really unhealthy lifestyle at the time you know going out on the weekends drinking doing other things I shouldn't have been doing <laughs> um living the life a country girl in the big smoke are you from the country um, I am from the country yes. whereabouts are you from I grew up in Gippsland in eastern oh, yeah. Victoria so I moved to Melbourne when I was 18 and it was party city and my um mm. my health caught up with me and I was really interested in fitness and I, I always have been in yoga and, you know, I'd go to Bikram yoga class with one of yeah. my best friends and we'd walk downstairs and light up a cigarette and it just didn't really make any sense, you know. Mm. <laughs> things no. things weren't um, making much sense and yeah. my health was declining. So I actually um, went and saw a nutritionist myself and oh, I just thought I was, I thought I was having an okay diet, but what she introduced me to and how things changed and how my interest just grew and grew, I know within a year I just said to my friends, I'm, like, I'm going back to university, I'm studying nutrition, and I felt yeah. so passionate. And it was at uni that I then discovered I actually had PCOS myself and it really made sense later on. They go, oh, this, the gut issues and, oh, the acne and, oh, the painful ovulation and the facial hair and the mood swings and the bad PMS and all these things, mm. they just started to finally line up and, yeah. You know, people can go years without a diagnosis and sometimes forever without a diagnosis. So it was really, really, really great to have that clarity and finally find something that I was really interested in helping other people um, discover within themselves and learn more and how to manage their own health symptoms. So there you go, the wounded healer. I was indeed, but I, I guess a lot of friends would have called me quite health obsessed back then. But as I've aged and matured, I definitely have found that 
health is really about creating a really decent and delicate balance, I guess, in your life and not going all the way to 100, but maybe mm. back it up a bit to, you know, 80, 85. So I'm in a really good place with that. But, you know, having PCOS, it is a lifelong managing system. So I'm constantly, you know, checking in with myself, actually, am I doing the right things? I had a baby this year. So, oh, sorry, last year, he's nearly one. Yeah, and, you know, how much that's, thank you, how much that can change your hormones and how you look after yourself. So it kind of almost puts you back in, back in the start of your journey and it's quite humbling. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I really resonate with um, something you said, you know, that you've sort of been to both ends of the spectrum of, you know, not living your healthiest life mm. and um, burning the candle, maybe taking on board some things that weren't so healthy and natural to then maybe being a little bit obsessive with it. Yes. And I don't know about you, but I find in clinic that a lot of the work is actually pulling people out of the extremes, whether it be mm-hmm. people that have gone too far with their version of, you know, their healthy diet Um you know, all those people that are obviously the other, other spectrum, they're looking for ways to sort of, you know, get rid of alcohol or food addictions and things like that. But yeah, it's often just finding that, that gray area, you know, that zone in the oh. middle, which allows you to live life, but do it healthily. Absolutely. And Ellie, I always say to people, I'm like, I'm going to give you these dietary ideas and lifestyle recommendations, but I'm never going to put you on a diet. And I don't want you to think that food is not here to nourish you. I want you to go out with your friends and have a beautiful dinner and enjoy a glass of wine and, you know, live your life. Food is here to nourish us. We shouldn't be restrictive. That's when we start to create more problems for ourselves. So it really is this really happy balance. And I think too, like you said, being in an experience of both ends of the spectrum with um, <laughs> what life has had to offer me, yeah. um, I can see that there are detriments obviously to both, but to be healthy doesn't mean you have to be perfect with your health yeah. because that is never going to be perfect for your mental health. Yeah, yeah, it, it's definitely not. Um, and there's an element of being a practitioner that I think you have to appreciate that and accept that because I've been through it and I'm sure other practitioners and you have is mm. that feeling of we have to be perfect to be a practitioner and share with others about, you know, how to eat right for, for themselves and their goals and their lifestyle. But we don't. We don't have to be mm. perfect, you know. Mm. We, we can have yeah. a little chocolate here and there or a bad oh, day. Or I had some pan of chocolate today. It was fantastic. Mm. <laughs> yeah, you have to live. Now, um. Let's go back to PCOS and feel free to use some of your own experience with regards to the diagnosis process. But um, I find that there there is often misdiagnosis uh, mm. when it comes to PCOS and it goes both ways. Uh, mm. You know, um, it gets missed uh, and, it, and it can be diagnosed incorrectly. Um, so how how is PCOS diagnosed and and feel free to sort of go clinical and then also your own experience of diagnosis? Well typically the first thing that women would be considering to even want to have either bloods done or go to the doctor and say hey something is up would be that they're most of the time it's their period has gone missing. And I'm not talking about women who are on the birth control pill because we know that's not actually a period. I'm talking about people who are not taking any form of contraception. And so obviously the first thing I want to rule out is making sure that they're not pregnant because the first sign usually if we have a missing period is just going to the most obvious if they're sexually active. Yeah. Um, But if there has been, you know, infrequent periods or missing periods, what we'd call secondary amenorrhea, um, or if 
you know, the, there's unexplained weight gain. There's some things coming up like, okay, I've got a lot of acne. I'm in my 20s or my 30s. Why Why is this acne come all of a sudden, you know, and people want answers. And yeah. when there are things like facial hair, extra weight, acne, and people are starting to lose their confidence or feeling, you know, not so much in their own body, which I often hear women say to me, I just don't feel like I'm in my body anymore. This doesn't feel like me. That's when they start to look for answers. And first thing that the doctor might do and hopefully would do would be do some bloods and just to rule out, okay, what is this woman's testosterone levels? What are other hormone levels? If they're going to take a deep dive, they might consider lots of sex hormones. Unfortunately, that's not always the case. Mm. Um, They might, if they're across PCOS and really wanting to help that person um, find out if it is PCOS, they would run a glucose tolerance test to also look at their insulin and to look at their insulin sensitivity. Um, However, most commonly, if this person is showing lots of the signs and symptoms, that doctor may actually say, let's do a transvaginal ultrasound just to rule out if you have polycystic ovaries. Yeah, because there's a difference between the two, isn't there? Yes, and but the issue then is that, okay, well, this woman, she may have, you know, extra follicles on her ovary, which we're calling the polycystic ovaries here Mm -hmm. or the, uh, the cysts on the ovaries. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that she actually has a syndrome. Mm-hmm. And what I often see in clinic is women coming to me saying, oh, I was diagnosed at 18 with PCOS. I was diagnosed at 17 with PCOS. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, the first question I asked, well, how were you diagnosed? And what, what made the doctor make that decision? That it, as it is PCOS and you've been believing this for 13 odd years. Mm-hmm. And then you've been on the pill. So, you know, how, do, how are we to know really what your body's doing from such a young age? Mm-hmm. And they'll typically say, okay, well, I've, I've heard stories of they did an external ultrasound and they confirmed, but they did an internal ultrasound and, you know, this is what they saw. And when I asked the question, did they do any blood tests to look at anything else? Typically the answer is I don't remember or I don't think so. Yeah. yeah. And look, that's not every doctor, that's not everybody's case, but this is something I hear quite often in clinic. And so, yeah, I, I'm interested if you've had an ultrasound I'm more interested when you had the ultrasound, how relevant it is because, you know, ultrasounds can change dramatically within the course of, you know, two or three years, let alone 10, 13 years. Yeah. But I'm, I'm interested what your, your blood work is doing. You know, is there an insulin resistance that could be leading to high androgens, you know, high testosterone, a male sex hormone in your body causing the facial hair or the acne or the extra weight gain, the infertility or the missed period? I'm interested even what your estrogen levels are doing. I'm interested um, how your body even regulates glucose. So if this hasn't been checked, we sort of car park the idea that you might have PCOS and we go, let's let's just go get some blood work done and let's let's rule out everything else that could be happening in your life. Have you been on the oral contraceptive pill? Have you been on any other form of contraception? Could this possibly be something else? Whilst it's not my job to diagnose, I'm not a doctor, I do like to think I'm the detective in the case of helping them, you know, investigate actually what's going on in your body. Mm, yeah. Um, it does it does create an interesting situation, doesn't it, when you're, you're the practitioner, you're the nutritionist, uh, and, you know, you're sitting there with your client, maybe it's the first time you've met them, mm. and you're trying to articulate that perhaps their diagnosis was incorrect and, and more testing needs to be done. I find that, you know, I don't know about your case, but the people I attract tend to be there because they're looking for answers. They're, they're looking for, you know, stern, stones to be turned over that perhaps haven't been turned over before. So they're open to it, but it's still, it, it's still a, 
it's a challenging conversation to have to respectfully want more information than the doctor mm-hmm. asked for. And I see it all the time as well. Um, you know, the ultrasound was done, the irregular cycle was taken into consideration and PCOS was diagnosed at a mm-hmm. you know a young age, you know, certainly before the before the time that the menstrual cycle will, would have really had an opportunity to yes. you know, mature. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, then this person has a label of PCOS and they don't quite know what it means and what to do about it. But if you look at uh, like the Androgen Excess Society, their criteria for diagnosis, you know, would be very different to that more standard sort of Western model, that Rotterdam criteria. Mm. You know, they'd be looking for, yes, an absent or irregular menstrual cycle or period, um, but then the, the, the excess androgens, so that, you know, that mm. that uh, male pattern hair growth, all the acne, like you said. Mm. It has to be part of it. Mm. It's got mm. to, yeah. Mm. Yeah, you're right. It's interesting that when Rotterdam came about, they're like, okay, is it got to be two of these three things, any two of these three. And then when the androgen excess society came by three years later, like, no, 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 it can be two out of three, but one of those two has to be high testosterone. Because we know that, you know, if we have this excess testosterone, the issue is that a lot of it's not converting to the estrogen that we're requiring then for the LH to surge, so luteinizing hormone for those playing along at home, (laughs) in preparation for ovulation. But what can happen in that case is the luteinizing hormone, it goes a little too high, typically in women with PCOS, and then the body's like, "Um, are we ovulating? Maybe not. I don't know. Should we? Could we? And the body gets too confused. And this is a hormonal cascade of events. And so it's interesting that, you know, a lot a, a lot of diagnoses are Rotterdam, if other things are considered, not just the ultrasound, as we mentioned before. Mm. But technically, they do need to consider at least two or three. So it's about having that conversation with your patient. And if they don't know the answer, it's hoping to get through to a doctor. Maybe it wasn't the doctor who diagnosed them, but a doctor they're currently seeing and hoping to get on the same team of supporting that patient. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, these are tests that are readily accessible. So long as, you know, the individual knows what tests they're wanting to get done. So, you know, if, if we're looking at routine blood tests, just to recap on what you've said, um, we can do a we can do testosterone via the blood serum. Mm-hmm. Um, we can do fasting insulin, which is not that standard, but it can be done if mm. if if you speak to your doctor about it and maybe justify the reasons for it. Um, you can ask for things like glycated hemoglobin or fasting blood glucose, but I don't know about you; they're definitely not my preference. I would really need to see a fasting insulin. Um, what else would you be looking for in the bloods? Well, one of the ones that I sometimes would consider, especially if it's a more of a lean PCOS picture, so a leaner woman, mm-hmm. um, because what we often do see um, women with PCOS, you know, 70 to 80% are said to be overweight, but there are definitely women out there who might still have that high testosterone picture and be quite lean, lean naturally as well, and not being affected the same way with the insulin resistance and carrying extra testosterone in her body, which causes those masculine features. Mm. Um, so for those women in particular, I would be asking to look at a DHEAS, um, which is like a testosterone that's actually produced in the adrenal cortex, so your adrenal glands. Mm-hmm. And that's telling us, okay, is this actually driven from her adrenals or is it actually the testosterone that's being produced in her ovaries causing 
higher free testosterone, which is floating around, you can't find any receptors to bind to, um, which is also then going to affect the production of sex hormone binding globulin in her liver. And so if we're having the effect on testosterone and what we then call, uh, sorry, SHBG, get your acronyms right. (laughs) Too many acronyms in this life of health, by the way, too many. You get your head around it. Yeah, you do. (laughs) But if if that's the case, I'm like, okay, this is going to affect her fertility. So yes, I look at testosterone. I look at free testosterone, sex hormone binding globulin, I would also want to look at her hormones. Typically I go for day two, two to three of her cycle first just to see what if she has got a cycle because yeah. still some women will. If she doesn't have a cycle, we kind of just have to guess, okay, well she, we'll just have to base her hormonal bloods off her luteal phase, which is essentially the second phase of someone's menstrual cycle after mm-hmm. ovulation. And it's kind of, look, it's never going to be so accurate in that case, but we have to do our best with what we have and the information we have. So then we would also go, okay, well, let's look at progesterone while we're here and DHEAS. I always look at if she's had a glucose tolerance test already and we've, you know, we've seen some sensitivity and we've looked at the insulin, I still, you know, it could be November and what we're in February, almost, almost February now, hmm. I would still go, let's just also rule out a few other things why not get some crp looked at let's just look at some inflammation in the body let's also look at um your hbac1 a lot of doctors are willing to come to the party with that which is awesome if the person has already had the diagnosis of pcos Mm. because essentially pcos should be treated the way we treat diabetes and because that's a test for pre-diabetes diabetes diabetes, let's just have a look what's happening because as nutritionists, we're working with naturopathic principles of looking at bloods. When we look at bloods, we look at every single line specifically, not just quickly gaze over going, is anything high or low? Mm-hmm. I don't care if it's high or low. I want to see where exactly every blood test you just received is because you are not just like the average person. You are unique. You are, you know, an individual. So let me have a look at how your red blood cells are in their volume and how many in a sample, your platelets, you know, it's not about exactly that you've gone over or under. It's yeah. where you're sitting and how that is in comparison to all the other bloods you've just been tested for. Yeah. I always um, say it's the thyroid. Well, sorry. And thyroid too. <laughs> thyroid. <laughs> yeah. <at> thyroid. <laughs> um, and I also tend to ask, and I'm sure you do too, um, for luteinizing hormone and follicle-stimulating yes, hormone yes. to look at that ratio there as well. And, again, I just have to guess if she doesn't have a period that yeah. is luteal. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, obviously, if you do have a menstrual cycle, just in case you're taking notes, um, that's where you'd be looking at the day two, like day two or mm. three of the cycle testing, um, yep. looking at that ratio um, ideally, and if not, in, in any stage. Okay, so simple bloods that can be done. You've talked about two drivers, so one being insulin resistance mm-hmm. uh, and one being um, adrenally driven testosterone excess. There's one. There's one other major driver that I I um, commonly see, you know, being talked about, which is that like post pill mm. um, sort of rebound PCOS. Do you see that? Do you know? Do you believe in that? And if so, can you articulate what that is? Isn't it funny because I feel like there's two ends of the coin with that one because the pill could have definitely had an effect on someone's hormones, i.e. it suppresses your testosterone. So the moment you've come off it, your testosterone is like, woohoo, let's go, girl. <laughs> so we've got to consider that cause and effect. However, there are so many people that get put on the pill at such a young age that 
has been masking anything that could have been happening from that young age and as she has been developing. So what was the peer, the chicken or the egg, right? (laughs) That's basically what I'm saying. So I do, I definitely think that the pill can have an effect long-term because it also affects our B6. Well, we know we need B6 for progesterone. We know we need it for healthy hormone production and also our neurotransmitter production. Mm-hmm. Then we consider um, not only the pill, I should say the pill also depletes magnesium and magnesium deficiency can also cause insulin resistance. So there's all this stuff happening that can make all these symptoms appear because it's been a chain of reactions. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do, I do definitely think the pill can be quite detrimental to a lot of people who might even have that predisposition. And we say that women with PCOS typically will have a genetic predisposition. So she might have gone on the pill with this genetic predisposition and it's caused, you know, an uproar in her body. Um, we also know that not only if she's been on the pill, she could have also been doing things like eating a really poor diet and drinking sugary drinks and all the things that may have influenced the other chain reactions we've spoken about before, like insulin resistance, which leads to high testosterone. Mm-hmm. So, um, oh, I do want to say also too that, and you actually touched on it before, you know, when, when someone's still a teenager, an adolescent, their testosterone is going to be higher. Their body is just figuring everything out. So to claim that someone has PCOS, you know, from the age of 15 to 17, even 18, you'd want to put a little bit of a weight on that diagnosis. Like, okay, let's just check this again in a year or two and Mm. see what's still happening because our body's still trying to figure itself out. Yeah, yeah. Some practitioners would even say, you know, avoid a diagnosis of, of making that diagnosis until the individual's been cycling for 10 years. That's how much yeah, the irregular wow. menstrual cycle can uh, can impact um, readings. And that's not to say that you... And how many women that do that? <laughs> <laughs> well, no. well, exactly, exactly. Mm. I guess but the thing still is, good too, yeah, sorry, I was going to say, I don't know about you in clinic, but this is such a typical script in clinic for me that people go... I was put on the pill when I was about 17, 18, or sometimes younger, and then I was told when I'm ready to fall pregnant to come back. Mm. And then they go back and they can't get pregnant yeah. because their body is just like, I am really hormonally imbalanced. And, you know, I definitely think there's a, there is a place for the birth control pill for, for some women, sure, but we've got to remember why it was created and that was for contraception. That wasn't yeah. for acne. That wasn't for weight gain or um, endometriosis or PCOS and all the things it has been given for. Like that, that's not the reason why it's there. No, no. So let's be clear. You heard it here. The oral contraceptive pill will not, quote, unquote, balance your hormones. It is a form of contraception and it does do that well, um, but it certainly won't be recalibrating um, hormonal imbalance that, you know, we sort of will, will get to the root cause of, you know, a given case of, of polycystic ovarian syndrome. No, and I, I'm going to go a little bit off topic, but I can't help but to say it, but the pill creating all that exogenous estrogen too only increases your chance of breast cancer astronomically mm-hmm. and if you have PCOS there are certain cancers like endometrial cancers or ovarian cancers that are already um, at a higher risk so it's just taking all those things into consideration saying actually is this right for me yes I have PCOS but could I manage it a different way okay I, I want to have sex and I don't want to get pregnant so what's my next option because you do have options 
Yeah, you do, and which is what we want to get to. Well, what we want to talk about today, and uh, I will go back a step and say that being on the pill, if you have PCOS, will likely help to resolve symptoms. You know, if you've got acne or um, the male pattern hair growth or the weight, like it might help to resolve those symptoms. Although part of that is incorrect because we now know there's evidence to show that the pill can contribute to insulin resistance and therefore if Mm. the underlying cause of PCOS is insulin resistance it's just going to exacerbate issues but a lot of women find their symptoms are relieved with the pill but it is a short-sighted view it is uh is certainly not getting to root cause and PCOS there there is a lot that is within the individual's control you know, lifestyle, nutrition related to help with addressing root cause. Um, like you said before, many, many cases of PCOS could basically be treated like type 2 diabetes, right? Yeah, absolutely. So how do you how do you determine which cases will need, you know, which sort of lifestyle and dietary interventions put into place? Or is it a one-size-fits-all um, from your point of view? No, I think it's not a one-size-fits-all unfortunately so it's that's a loaded take- question <laughs> uh, I mean look no no two cases are the same in clinic and they never have been you know everyone who comes to see nutritionists what they can expect is tailored individual advice and I think that's what is so special about our offering is that there is time taken to research to consider to formulate plans and to consider all the things that's happened on the timeline of events of that person's life, you know, their health timeline. It's, it's, it's special because you are going to be heard, you are going to be treated as an individual, and hopefully you're going to see the results for your health if you follow the treatment plan. Now, that's not to say the treatment plan is always perfect. Sometimes we have to go trial and error too. So if someone does have PCOS, and we're still trying to figure out what is the driving force. We've got these bloods, you know, maybe there's a bit, still a red flag or perhaps this person actually got a misdiagnosis and they have something else. Maybe it's their thyroid. Perhaps they've actually been under eating for so long that their hypothalamus has just said, this is not safe. Yeah, <laughs> We do yeah. not ovulate when there's not enough food. Yeah. How can I, how can I treat a baby if I'm not getting enough food myself? You know, so we're looking at hypothalamic amenorrhea then, mm. but typically this is actually missed and, and and the diagnosis is PCOS. So again, playing that detective work, trying to solve the case in this person's body. First thing I typically, typically, again, it really depends on the client, typically do will always be helping them to understand blood sugar regulation yeah. because no matter what type of PCOS they might be presenting to the clinic with, chances are insulin resistance or insulin sensitivity it's it's there, you know. We we see in about seventy to eighty percent of um, of people, I should say, with PCOS, mm. and things like high testosterone and, like you said, the pill can also cause insulin resistance. If this person has some gut issues and maybe there's a lot of inflammation in the body, well, we know inflammation can also lead to insulin resistance. Mm. So a lot of things, unfortunately, in life <laughs> can lead to insulin resistance. Hey, even age contributes mm. to insulin resistance, and so. Again, you don't want to treat everybody the same because you're not going to you're not going to get the results that way. But I think for me, one of the biggest things to educate that person on is how to assist blood sugar regulation. If that person's presenting with so many other things in that first session, and I know that's actually not the priority, then we'll ensure that the priority is C two first. But um, we sorry, yes. I was just going to say that I. I 
based on what I come across, you know, in um, general interactions in the community and also my clients, blood sugar regulation is, it's not something that people are quote unquote nailing, right? Like people Mm. are still craving sweet foods. They're craving really carbohydrate rich meals. um, They're Mm. getting the hangries, you know, they're getting that frustration or the irritability or the 330-itis when they haven't eaten sometimes they're waking up feeling nauseous because they haven't eaten like I think there are you know sorry regardless of whether you're um if you're overweight carrying weight around the middle aging um it's very possible to be showing early signs of insulin resistance or you know at least blood sugar regularities Mm. and we know diet can help but but what are some of the foundations to the dietary choices to help there so I don't want to give away all my secrets because, you know, I have campaign clients. <laughs> but, yeah, it, look, it's our foundations. <laughs> well, listen, simple. You have to be eating protein and you have to be eating adequate protein. So depending on how much you work out, depending on um, your your weight, I hate, I hate saying it because, you know, I don't like talking about numbers and stuff. It's not my deal. I like to keep it about how we feel mm. and in our clothes. But if you're having really rich carby meals then you're just going to keep wanting more and more and more and you're going to only be increasing your insulin increasing your insulin increasing your insulin and if you've got that resistance then the insulin it goes even to more production because the insulin sitting there in your blood going I can't get into this cell it will not let me get in it's like we don't fit anymore and so you think of a lock and key and our cells should have the little hole ready for the key to come through but the insulin key it's it's been cut wrong and so it just sits there in your blood instead and the intracellular amount of uh, glucose then is is really low and if we have low glucose in our cells then we're going to have low energy because essentially our food equals energy we need food to survive however we've come into this era of wanting too much food and not the right food and as mammals we should be having these periods of fasting in our life where our body is able to use the energy we've been storing and then survive through that and then going back into its fed state, get more insulin, get more glucose, get more energy and repeat. However, in those moments where we think we want another meal, maybe we are hungry because we haven't been eating the right nutrients for our body, we're going, okay, I need something quick, fast, I need energy. So the brain goes, sugar, get that sugar. And, you know, maybe it's a chocolate bar, maybe it's an apple. You know, that's not a bad thing. I'm all about the apple. I'm highly about the apple. But what are you eating the apple with to help regulate your blood sugar? You know, could you eat a handful of almonds or Brazil, definitely Brazil nuts or some (laughs) almond butter? Like this is what's going to be really beneficial in that snack. However, what is so interesting is you look to nature and you look at all the other mammals and you notice they're not obese. They don't have diabetes. They don't have polycystic ovarian syndrome, but they, they don't have these metabolic syndromes. And that's because they're not snacking, just like our grandparents and our great-grandparents didn't snack. That wasn't a thing. Grazing wasn't a thing. You yeah. ate your two to three meals a day and you got on with it. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. you, you were in your fed state. You were in your fasted state. Repeat. You went fed, 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 fed. No. And if we continue to go fed, 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 insulin is just going to go higher, higher, higher. And that's when we see this cascade of events and we're affecting this enzyme in our gut called aromatase. And, and then it's aromatase that's going, okay, let's um let's produce some more androgen, some more testosterone and, and it's slower to create estrogen. And then we're seeing those other issues like PCOS and infertility. Yeah add one more thing yeah you yeah. cannot you cannot <laughs> yeah. underestimate the power of cinnamon 
Yeah. Cinnamon has been studied for all its amazing benefits and one being blood sugar regulation and just how it helps to produce AMK when, which is also produced when we're exercising. So it's helping to keep, I don't want to say fat burning, but it has that sort of ability with fat loss. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So some of the things you said then to summarize, um, one of them was adequate protein. Another was, another was not having excess carbohydrates. Uh, Another was not snacking. So looking at your sort of three eating opportunities in the day, cinnamon as well. Oh, I can't underestimate cinnamon. Do you eat it? <laughs> I don't. Oh, I don't. But, um, I mean, I do uh, follow most of the other principles. I guess it comes back around <laughs> to that, that idea of being 80, perfect. Hey? Yep, yep. Absolutely, but yes. But this is just easy ones, you know. Everyone can go buy cinnamon at their local supermarket and chuck it in a smoothie three out of seven days a week, you know. It's true. Um, what Do you have a therapeutic dose that you recommend to people? Or, uh, oh, say you don't want to give away all your secrets. No, I say a teaspoon every few days, whether yeah. it's mix it in with yogurt, smoothie. I mean, they're probably only two places I personally put because I don't look, I don't love the taste of cinnamon. Yeah. Oh, you know what it's actually really good with? Baking an apple and putting yeah. some cinnamon on it, getting some walnuts, a little bit of coconut yogurt. Boom. Yeah, so yum. And beware, mm. shoppers, please look at the ingredient list on the cinnamon you're buying and make sure it doesn't have any other ingredients in there. Mm. like sugar which I have seen before oh yeah yeah usually is with sugar isn't it especially when you go to a cafe and be like can I have a chai and it comes back and you're like shit what's this on top (laughs) yeah yeah exactly exactly so so for the plant-based community because I know lots of people listening will either be thinking about plant-based or they will be plant-based I think there's a lot in there like even in those foundations there will be some light bulb moments because the real risks with plant-based nutrition is one the what used to be the animal proteins on the plate get replaced with the easy to cook and easy to access Mm. carbs, right? The pasta Mm. or the bread or the cereal or the rice or even, you know, the lentils and the legumes. I know they're whole food. I know they're high in fiber. I know they're low GI, but they're still high carbohydrate and they can still perpetuate the want for more carbohydrates, which in turn perpetuates the eating frequency, you know, the eating regularly because there's no satiety coming from that low protein possibly low fat and high carb meal. Mm. So that in itself there, you know, the making sure you're getting enough protein and um, seeing how that flows on to appetite control and not needing to eat, you know, five, six, seven times a day. And so protein was one, not eating frequently enough was another. Oh, yeah, and and not eating excess carbohydrate, which is really mm. easy to do for those people that are new oh, to plant-based or haven't haven't done enough research so they're really important foundations I think for people to take away Mm, and interestingly enough because I am the wounded healer I have been on a plant-based diet myself um, years and years ago now I was actually still studying at university but it didn't work for me and looking back it probably didn't work for me because it was very carby and this is before I knew I had PCOS Um, because you're right you you go on a plant-based diet and you're like okay carbs I'm going to survive of carbs. And I actually was getting really constipated and I had, that's when I had the worst acne and everything. And there is such thing I think as too much fiber, but also too much fructose. And like I said, too many simple carbohydrates, even people will will eat pastas and things like that as, as a protein, almost that's the the main player on their plate. Mm. And so when I consider a plate, carbs are never the biggest thing on the plate, you know, it's usually 
palm-sized serving of protein, really good fats, and we need our good dietary fats to help us absorb, you know, other nutrients like calcium. Calcium requires vitamin D, a fat-soluble vitamin. So as a, if you're on a plant-based diet, essentially you, you need to be pairing your food intelligently to gain the most from it. And if you are someone who suffers PCOS and you are plant-based and, you know, you're having trouble making that work for you, I think it's really about finding that balance of your macronutrients, that what is going to work for you, what are the carbohydrates that you're actually consuming I would, I would never tell someone not to eat potato because potato is one of the best things you can eat. You know, what, what can't you do with a potato? Yeah. But don't eat it every day, you know. Yeah. Have, have your potato, have your cake and eat too. I believe in that. But how often are you eating it? What are you cooking it in? What are you pairing it with on your plate? Are you just eating potato and then maybe some broccoli? Well, that's just carbs, carbs. Yeah. And broccoli is such a good food for helping with that regulation of that enzyme I spoke about earlier, aromatase. So mm. if you do have PCOS, broccoli on up. But add some, you know, um, extra virgin olive oil to your broccoli. Um, I was going to say butter, then I just realized we're talking plant-based. <laughs> but extra virgin <laughs> olive oil, add some coconut oil, some MCT mm. oil to your diet, help take that calcium out of the broccoli and, you know, get, get all that good stuff into you. So we want to go from unrefined complex carbohydrates. I mean, legumes are really great. We've got our peas and our beans like you said before lentils will definitely spark more insulin but it doesn't mean that there's not a place for them in your body because lentils also really help with all that work your liver has to do at helping to recycle your hormones and it flushes things out of the body if you've never known that before (laughs) but you know lentils (laughs) can be really great but like potatoes don't eat them every day and you know I think everybody has a different take on soy products and this also comes back to treating the person as an individual. And so if someone is on a plant-based diet or they've decided to go pescatarian or, you know, reduce their meat and they're eating tofu or tempeh almost every meal edamame and they're putting soy sauce and everything, you know, that's when I consider I need to know what your body is doing before I I can say, yeah, keep doing this because yeah. it's not for everybody. And but but I also think that it is for some people. Me personally, no, I cannot have soy. The moment I have a piece of tofu, I get pimples on my chin. That's my body saying, we don't like this. This is not for us. But and yeah, I I just wanted to make that clear that you don't treat everybody the same. And when it comes to certain proteins on a plant-based diet, you still have to notice what's going to be higher insulin. Um, spiking and also what is right for your body, your health, because there definitely are some great proteins out there. You don't need to go to a, um, an animal-based diet to also go low carb. You can make it work. Mm. You've just got to find the right ones for you. I think also when you look at relativity, right? So like um, last time I looked a the research on a whole food plant-based diet, which from a lot of staunch, staunch like sort of plant-based um, sort of advocates, they would say that a whole food plant-based diet is, you know, the mecca. It's like the best possible dietary approach that one could take, which mm. I don't necessarily agree with that. I, I do think that plant-based is possible to live healthy on, but whole food plant-based, if you look at the macros, it's like 70 80% carbohydrate, <laughs> which yeah. is... I'd ex- be so dizzy. <laughs> <laughs> and, no, you know, no wonder people say to me time and time again, I went plant-based two years ago, what, you know, however many years, because I really believe in, the, in um, you know, equality and animal rights and that sort of thing. Mm. But I've not been fatter. I've not been lower. So I've never been more less 
I've never been more fat. I've never been lower in energy. My skin has yes. never been worse. And you do have to come back down to just the very simple principles of macronutrient breakdown. At 70, yes. 80% carbohydrate, it is not going to be supporting our foundations of um, many things, but, but mm. certainly not the foundations of addressing underlying causes for PCOS. No. I mean, um, I cannot tell you how many clients I've had over the years who bless them they'll come to me and I'm like okay so what do you have for lunch what do you have for dinner you know we go over the diet and if they've been on a vegetarian diet or a plant-based it'll be like oh I have rice and veggies I'm like hang on where's the protein yeah where's the fat and they're like oh no no I don't eat that and it's not their fault but they just don't know and yeah. you know they've obviously seek nutritional advice so they're willing to know more but it's really common that there's this misconception that you go plant-based or you go veggie and you're just literally eating veggies and a bit of rice mm. and that's where we see the problems you know it's like no wonder you know you're experiencing a b c d because our building blocks uh, are protein we, we need to get more in Mm. So we're so you know on that plate of of broccoli and rice. Let's say um, you know there could be half a cup of chickpeas and a few tablespoons of hemp seeds added, or there could be a fist-sized piece of tofu or tempeh. I, I generally recommend tempeh because it is fermented, mm, mm, tends to be absolutely. better digested, um, organic. Yes, organic, non-genetically modified. Absolutely. Um, so you can definitely build the build the protein content of that meal and also add some healthy fats. Like you said, put some extra virgin olive oil there and mm, see how differently you avocado, feel. Avocado. Yeah. Walnuts. Oh, and just you cannot underestimate the power of a Brazil nut either. And whilst I don't think they're the tastiest nut on the shelf, but I remember being on a plant-based diet and Brazil nuts are really good, like a cheese or a nutritional yeast alternative. Chop them up really fine and sprinkle them over. So really? Yeah. Well, hold on. You just, you just shared something <laughs> completely new with me that I need to try. So you you, you shave up Brazil nuts or yes. chop them finely and they... I even did it last week. <laughs> okay. So so uh, like I'll do like maybe uh, I always buy myself and my son red lentil pasta or mm. we get um, like a brown rice hemp one. Yep. So I'll cook up some fusilli pasta um, and I add some tomato. So we've got like a polyphenols there, which is really good for your gut. I put in some olives, again, really good for insulin resistance there. We're seeing the polyphenols come back. I would add some broccoli to that, calcium, we're talking vitamin C. This is like a perfect PCOS yeah. meal already. Mm. And then I would typically put in that um, some zucchini as well, which I would, and maybe onion if I can be effed. <laughs> you know, sometimes <laughs> onion's a bit of an effort when you've got a little one running around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good, and then I good. always chop up about five Brazil nuts fine, like kind of like shave them, mm. and I sprinkle that on top. And it, oh, and usually I add hemp seeds, but let's not get too fancy if yeah. we're in a rush. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that is an awesome, well-rounded plant-based lunch or dinner. Yeah. Oh, and if you've got kale, like, of course, add the kale because we can't go wrong adding a little bit of dark leafy greens did you just say that because it's my podcast and I love kale with no, everything. <laughs> no but there you go it's it's um serendipitous but <laughs> yeah yeah you know, kale kale's always in our fridge um but uh, there was something I wanted to add about oh, came to me before about insulin resistance and food Oh, fiber that mm. is one of the benefits of a plant-based diet though if you are having it carbs that work for you if there's a syndrome like pcos at play what carbs come in we are hopefully seeing a lot of balance between our soluble and our insoluble fiber which is also going to be 
helping with insulin resistance. So keeping up enough fiber in the diet for anybody listening, don't have to even be a plant-based is, is key. Yeah. And, you know, if you are eating that whole food plant-based diet that I was referring to before, then you're not going to be under eating fiber. So that is a benefit of that. But even a like a lower carbohydrate, higher protein, moderate fat, plant-based diet will, uh, you know, will be giving you more than enough fiber. And as you said, mm. sometimes too much fiber for some people. Yeah. <laughs> um, generally, I could keep talking to you all day, all night. So um, we may have to come back and do another episode and maybe address some questions that get thrown our way about PCOS and uh, diet and lifestyle. And maybe we could look more at lifestyle next time. Yes. And there's, oh, there's so much to cover with lifestyle and PCOS. This is even, this is not even scratching the surface, is it? I think we need about, this is PCOS one out of 10. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It really isn't, it really isn't a, you know, doing much more than surface, but that's fine. Cause I asked you about your foundational nutritional um, sort of guidelines. So that's, that's, that's amazing. And um, can you tell the listeners a little bit where, a little bit about where they can find you and, and learn more from you? You can find me online. I do virtual consults. I will be going back into clinic one day a week soon over in um, the east of Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Is that the east? Yeah, it's an eastern. Yeah, not Where east of Melbourne, but in Kew. I'll be in. Oh, yeah. I'll be, eastern, I'll be, yeah. <laughs> sorry, Siri keeps popping up. I will be in Kew in the next, hopefully by the end of February, back in one day a week. Um, otherwise, I'm very flexible online. Obviously, like I said, I do have a little one. So a lot of my clients I see after hours which actually I think benefits a lot of other people so they don't have to come into their work time yeah um I'm on Instagram I'm on Facebook (laughs) and that's about it I have a website so I'm you know I'm trending I just I just don't have Twitter or any of those sort of things (laughs) um um, what's your Instagram handle it's my name Jenilee McInnes Okay, amazing. I'll pop that in the show notes as well for people and um, direct them to your website. But there's lots of great resources on your website. Um, you released an ebook over Christmas. So you've definitely been busy putting some great resources together. Yes, that's the thing when you have too many passions, you've got too many things going on at once. But it was on menopause, and the next one will be diets for, uh, not diets, I hate that word, meals for minis, so infants six to 12 months. But my main jam is definitely PCOS, and I um, hope to be doing much more of that in this new year. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look forward to many more chats ahead, um, recorded and not recorded. And thank you again for, for being here today. Thank you for having me. Have you been thinking about taking a more plant-based approach to your nutrition for the sake of your health? Or are you already plant-based and in need of further education, guidance and mealtime inspiration? Well, if the answers are yes or yes, I think you would love Plant-Based Kickstarter. It's a five-week online program that I developed with the health-conscious plant-based eater in mind. It includes one week of education, four weeks of meal planning, and weekly live seminars with me. I'm Ellie. I have a bachelor's degree in health science, majoring in exercise science and nutrition. I'm now a holistic nutritionist with a love of yoga. I'm a dog mum and I'm a runner. And I have a particular interest in supporting digestive health, hormone balance and metabolic health for the active and or plant-based female. In completing plant-based Kickstarter, you can expect improved digestion, greater confidence around your food choices, an understanding of how to prepare for and maintain the optimal plant-based diet, 
improved appetite control, and in many cases, fat loss. I would love for you to check it out at nutritionally.com forward slash plant-based Kickstarter. The next course begins February 28th and registrations open very soon. 